Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able Sermon Series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day. Yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in. So when I say the word change, how does that make you feel? Some of you guys do not like change at all. Some of you are change agents. Some of you are like, that is a really bad word. I do not like the thought of even having to change anything. I was thinking uh, these past few weeks about the ever-changing world that we live in. And isn't it nice to know that in an ever-changing world that there are some things that never, ever change? I mean, technology always changes, norms change, you get older, and you're changing because you're older, people change, organizations change, governments change. Elected officials change, the value of the dollar changes over time. And I could go on and on and on and on and on about all the things that change. However, some things pretty much stay the same forever. And for that, I am truly grateful. Now, I'm wired like many of you, I assume, in that I enjoy a good ice cream treat from time to time. And uh, I have tried most of them. And uh, I like the fancy ice creams with all the unique toppings and, you know, that cost like $17. But I also like the plain ice cream that comes from the grocery store in the little square box. You know, that's just a really simple, uh, you know, $4 ice cream. But something that I'm glad that has never changed, in my humble opinion, is the greatest ice cream treat of all time. And I'm talking about the blizzard from Dairy Queen. And if you know, there was a passion over here. If you know, you know. I mean, my earliest memories of the blizzard are exactly the same then as they are today. The taste has not changed. The cup design has not changed. The red spoon has not changed. And when you order it, this happens to show you that this is not going to fall out because it is perfectly blended. That has never changed through the last 40 years. And, and I'm thinking to myself, every fast food establishment has tried to replicate it, but the blizzard is often replicated but never mastered. No one can do it as good as Dairy Queen. So thank you, Dairy Queen, for the consistency in an ever-changing world. I appreciate that. Do you know something else that's never changed? It hit me a few weeks ago as I was preparing for a wedding, getting ready to go to a wedding, meaning that I had to iron clothes. And I thought to myself, irons and ironing boards have never changed. I mean, think about it. The iron that you have, you've probably had for 50 years, and its cord has always been too short. It was too short back then, and it's too short now. The new ones that you buy are too short. I mean, think about an ironing board. I mean, when you put that ironing board up, I mean, it could wake a bear from hibernation. <laughs> that sound, and I thought to myself, with all the technological advances in the last 100 years, no one has tackled irons and ironing boards. We've just been like, you know, let's leave good enough alone. There's no need to try to improve upon something that does not need changing. Paper clips are the same way. I mean, think about it. Paper clips have changed in shapes and colors, but they are exactly the same as the ones you use or the ones your parents use, which your grandparents use, your great-grandparents use. Why reinvent the wheel? Recorders haven't changed. And by that, I'm not talking about recorders for your voice or music, but I'm talking about the ones that our schools send our fourth graders home with. The design hasn't changed. The sound hasn't changed. 
over all of that time. And I'm thinking to myself, this is great. Let's just send these home because this is everything that an already loud house needs is just one more version of hot cross buns. Um, You've probably been given some advice over the years that has been just as good when you got it as it is now. The advice hasn't changed. I remember something that my grandfather used to say to me, and he was talking about when you would go to eat somewhere, and his advice was always, Jason, never eat at a restaurant if there's only one car in the parking lot. And I thought to myself, that actually serves you really, really well. You know, if you're the only person that has decided to eat there, maybe you should try to go somewhere else. It's sage wisdom, and I think to myself, he was on to something with that. And as we dig into God's Word today, I hope and pray that you're encouraged by where we're headed today, because we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And in Acts chapter 2, we see a blueprint for how the church is supposed to operate. We see a blueprint for the the community that we are to establish with one another. And interestingly enough, the principles have not changed. The principles are exactly the same today as they were back then. Even though they're over 2,000 years old, these are solid principles that if we choose to live by them, they will result in power in our lives. And if we choose to live by them, they will result in God being glorified And if we choose to adopt these principles, they will result in people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, people hearing the gospel, people understanding the power of the gospel. And in fact, the methodologies are different. Back in the first century church, they didn't have stages and electricity and print resources and technological resources that you and I have, just to name a few. But the core message has never changed. This message of who Jesus is, And what God was accomplishing in sending his son Jesus to this earth to give us life and to give us hope and to give us joy. And I believe that we will be blown away by the working of God in this place and in his presence as it works in this place and in our lives and in our families if we realize that the message has truly never changed. And if I can seek to even move a few inches closer to what it is that the Lord would desire to do and what he seeks to desire to do in my life and in this place together, I believe that we will see him move in such a powerful way, in such an incredible way. So this morning, why don't we ask God to do that? Why don't we ask God to show us through his word just a clearer picture of who he is and what it is that he yearns to do in our life as we seek to be the church collectively on mission here in Nolensville, Tennessee, giving him the glory, giving him the praise, and giving him all the adoration. So will you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning of life. Thank you for worship and song. Thank you for your presence today, God. We're grateful again for who you are, and we're thankful for all that you're going to do as we seek to make ourselves available to grow, to learn, and to be more in touch with what it is that you would desire to show us today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Now, I've talked to several of you over the past few weeks, and many of you completely unrelated, not connected, no rhyme or reason, and not at the same time, have made some comments to me that something has just kind of felt different in our worship environment over the last few weeks, that something has just kind of felt um, different. And it's not a bad different, it's not a good different, but sometimes people are saying it just has felt a little bit different. And honestly, I couldn't agree with you more. Maybe you have felt it. Maybe you have sensed that God is moving in power in our midst. And maybe you have sensed that through this community of believers that God is speaking to you and that God is showing you a clear picture of who he is. And you're coming more and more prepared for worship. And when you come more and more prepared for worship, what tends to happen is you receive more. 
When you come with a heart and a posture that says, Lord, I'm ready and I'm anticipating what it is that you're going to do, it has been my experience that God always shows up in power. The more that you pray, the more that you will see on display the power of God, the more that you and I trust, the more that we will move out of the seat of authority in our own lives And we seek to not be in control, but we trust that he is in control and that he has a plan. And this text that we're looking at today in Acts chapter 2, the last five verses in Acts chapter 2, could not be more crucial for our understanding of the role that God has given each of us as the church and the expectations that we can see happening. And when we live according to the power of the Holy Spirit and how he leads us, what can happen in our lives individually, how we can be changed and how those around us can be changed. But before we go to Acts chapter 2, I want us to take a look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it is the core verse of Rolling Hills Community Church. And it's the core verses of this God is Able series. And I want you to hear these words. Some of you are with us for the very first time today. And these are the words that we have used as a, as a beacon, as a, as a guiding principle here in the life of Rolling Hills for these past 20 years. And it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This text says that he is able to do immeasurably more, meaning that whatever I can fathom him doing right now, he wants to do more. Whatever I can wrap my mind around him doing in my heart or in my life, he yearns to do more. Why? Because that's all because of his power at work in us. But there's a key clause in this verse that I don't want you to miss. Who gets the praise when that happens? Who gets the acknowledgement when that happens? Who gets the glory when that happens? Is it you? No. Is it me? No. Is it Rolling Hills Community Church? No. Who gets the praise and the acknowledgement? It says in verse 21, to him be the glory in the church. So the things that we experience together, the things that you're experiencing, the joy, the change that God is making in you, the change that you're seeing him make in the lives of others, our immediate response should not be, thank you, God, for me, but thank you, God, for you, for you doing what only you can do. God, I give you the praise. I give you the adoration. I give you the thanksgiving. And I proclaim boldly, God, that you are the one who is worthy. To him who does immeasurably more, to him be the glory. Him. He is the one that you and I seek to praise. Meaning that, as you see here on your notes, and I give you these notes so that you can follow along and maybe reflect upon them throughout the course of the week, but maybe you want to write this down. What does this mean? It means that a desire to glorify God then should take precedence over everything else. It means that a desire to glorify God should take precedence over everything else in my life. Did you know that the main desire of your day should not be going through your day to see what you can get out of the day? My main desire in my day should not be, what can I do to make today about me? Or how can I have all of my needs met today? But rather, our question and our desire rather should be, how can I praise God through my life today? And how can I bring glory to Him? And how can I thank Him for all that He has done and all that He is going to do? Because to bring Him glory is to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, and to say, in all of my dealings, in all of my wins today, and in all of my losses today, I'm going to praise God. 
which, by the way, is what it means to bring him glory. What does it mean to bring him glory? It means that I adore him, that I praise him, that I bring him honor, and that I seek to grow in him continually. So knowing this, knowing that this is the chief desire of our heart, that this is what God yearns for us, is to bring honor and glory to him. Knowing this, it's quite possible that some of us need to take a look inside and say, you know what, maybe there's some rewriting that needs to happen in my life. Maybe maybe there's a posture that needs to change, or maybe there's an attitude that needs to change. Maybe there's a behavior that needs to change, or when I come together as the church, maybe I do need to come with more anticipation and more expectation as to what God is going to do. Because if this gathering is all about bringing Him glory, and if this gathering is about seeking to be in a place where people are drawn to God through the power of the Holy Spirit, then it means that this gathering of believers, this ecclesia, not this building. This is a building. This is not the church. This is a building. You're the church meeting in this building. So this gathering of believers needs to be about bringing him praise and bringing him honor. So before looking at this blueprint that we're given in the last five verses of Acts chapter 2, let's kind of catch up as to what has happened. What's happened that has led to this point? Well, Jesus has died, And he was crucified, but he was resurrected to show us that he held power over everything, including the sin in our life, and he ascended back to heaven. And then 40 days later, uh, or 10 10 days after after he ascends back to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. And Peter preaches this sermon, and we unpacked this last week. Peter preaches this incredible sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a big catalyst. I mean, I can tell you, as a speaker, uh, that's probably about as good as it's ever going to get. You deliver a message and 3,000 people profess faith in Christ. That has never happened with my messages. It's a big catalyst. It's a big event. But if you think the message of the gospel was spreading exclusively through 3,000-person events, you're missing it. Because in Acts chapter 2, at the end, we realize that this was a big catalytic event, but we don't have any other record that something that significant happened again. We don't have these other instances where 10,000 people came to faith in Christ. And maybe it happened and it's just not recorded here, but this was a big catalytic event. But then when you turn your sights to what happens right after that, we see where we all come in. And we see the role that we have in continuing the mission and being the church here in Nolensville, Tennessee. So pick up with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 all the way down through verse 47. And this is, again, after these incredible moments, the Holy Spirit has come, the church has been launched. And then it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it starts with they, and it's the proverbial they. Who is the they? We know that it's at least 3,120 people. Because there was 120 early disciples that were there praying together when the Lord descended through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. There was probably more, but just to give you a nice base number, at least 3,120 people have all been assembled together. And it says that they've devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, I've highlighted that word 
devoted in my life because it says they're devoted there in verse 42. They were devoted to all of these things. I've highlighted that word in my mind, but I've also highlighted it in my Bible because I don't want to miss that word because so much of the crux of this issue of what was happening, so much of the beauty of what was happening is in that word devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? Well, to be devoted means that you're not a fair weather fan. To be devoted means that you're willing to stick it out. You're willing to persist in seasons of plenty, but also in seasons that might be lean or that might even be a struggle. A devoted person is not someone who says, I'm going to be loyal one minute when I get everything the way that I want it. But I'm going to be disloyal if I don't get what I want. See, that's not what devotion is all about. For example, a devoted fan of the Cleveland Browns all two of you in the room, they stay devoted even when it is lean. And if you're not familiar with football, then let me just tell you how lean some of this Cleveland Browns seasons have been. Back in 2017, the Browns won not a single game. 0-16 for an entire season. And if you don't understand sports, that's as bad as it can get. I mean, that's literally... It is no worse than that. We didn't win. Not we. I'm not a fan. They did not win a single game. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to throw myself under that bus. Some fans probably questioned their devotion at that moment in time. And some of them jumped ship. But the rest have stayed devoted. Why? Because they realize a devoted person is not someone who delivers lip service in one moment when things are great and says, you know what, I'm not a fan when things aren't great. A devoted fan isn't someone who just shows up when things are going well. A devoted fan is someone who says, or a devoted person, I should say, is someone who says, thick or thin, high or low, wins or losses. I'm going to be a part of this. See, that word devoted that we see here in reference to the early church in Greek is proskotero. And what that word literally means is, it, I mean, it's devoted. It's not a hard word for us to understand. It means to be continually attending to something. It means that we're persistent. It means that we're steadfast. But this word also has a little bit of a nuanced meaning that if you catch it, you understand why it's so important and why this is the word that should be used to describe you and I. Because it's not just persistence, but it's actually persistence in the face of difficulties. It says they were devoted, meaning that they were steadfast. They were persistent But they weren't just persistent in seasons of plenty. They were persistent in seasons of difficulty. And so as you see here on your notes, then to be devoted then is to persist no matter what. To be devoted is to persist no matter what. See, with persistence and strength, the early church not only showed up with a devotion to teaching, which is church services, (laughs) worship services, but they didn't allow their busy schedules to prevent them from fellowshipping with one another or for spending time in prayer, or with meals with one another. They prayed when they probably didn't feel like praying. We see a model here in the early church. They went and had dinner with Bob and Margaret, and perhaps they wanted a break from Bob and Margaret. Perhaps Bob and Margaret were a little bit different than them, but that didn't mean that they were excluded from the fellowship. I mean, who knows? The first century church was a very eclectic, diverse group of people that quite possibly did not agree on every issue. I mean, Bob and Margaret might have been the outliers, 
But it says they were devoted to them in spite of their challenges or in spite of the difficulty. See, a devotion to Jesus and a dependence on the Holy Spirit supersedes how I feel about everything or how I feel about everyone. Sometimes we use the word devotion, and what we're really saying is entitlement. We're saying, oh, I'm devoted, but if I'm only devoted to something when it goes exactly the way that I wanted it to go, then I really don't have a deep understanding of biblical devotion. I have a deeper understanding of I like things the way that I want them. And these are different. This is not the word that was used there to describe the early church. We're instructed to be devoted to one another and to be defined by that. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with that sometimes. I rarely deliver sermons that aren't for me. And so if you learn anything from it, then I I pray that you do. But sometimes I I prepare these messages and I realize this was just for me. See, I like to follow rules that make sense to me. (laughs) I like to do things that work for me. I'm all about change when I get to be the one who was in charge of the change. And I like to be in charge. And if something doesn't set well with me, then we shall see if I want to follow that. But the first century church model, that was a good one then and that is a good one now. It says, you know what, I'm going to be devoted to Jesus and I'm going to be devoted to one another through highs and lows, even when it may not be my preference. See, but what happens then when I do this? What happens when we collectively do this? It's going to happen just like it happened in the first century. Back to verse 43. Everyone then was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. See, when we live this kind of life, what does it lead to? It leads to awe, and it leads to wonder, and it leads to miracles, and it leads to signs, and it leads to visions, and it leads to a community that is so rich, and a community that is so life-giving, but a community that's also transparent, and a community that's vulnerable, and a community that's not, that doesn't have kind of this imposter syndrome of perfection, but a community that says, you know what, I'm going to be there for you. To be devoted says, I'm not going to give up on Jesus. To be devoted says, I'm not going to give up on the church. To be devoted is to say, I'm going to persist. I'm going to get involved in the lives of people, and I'm going to trust that God is going to use me. See, the absolute worst thing that you and I can do is to forego what you're doing right now and to move into a life of isolation. Because it was never intended to be a one-man show. Your life was never intended to be a one-man, one-woman show. The early church was all about placing hedges of protection around one another, and that primary hedge of protection was community, and it was fellowship, and it was the breaking of bread together, and it was being devoted to prayer in order to keep that devotion strong, in order for us to not be isolated. This faith journey that we were on is a collective effort. You see here on your notes, but togetherness always provides something you can't find in isolation. It's why togetherness is so important. Togetherness always provides something you cannot find in isolation. What does it primarily provide? The ability to stay devoted. Devotion is one of the greatest benefits of a togetherness mindset. I mean, think about it. You've experienced this in other avenues of your life. If you want to increase the likelihood that you're going to follow through with something, share that with somebody. And once you share it with somebody, you are well on your way to victory because you have someone that's going to hold you accountable and you've not made this decision in isolation. If you text a friend and you say, I'm going to be at the gym in the morning, you are pretty much as good as there. (laughs) Why? Because you don't want to let them down. You can let yourself down and hit snooze, but when you know somebody's waiting on you, 
it's a whole different picture. And this happens and plays out in all these other areas of life. Togetherness is so valuable. In isolation, I can let myself down. And the church was never meant to be an institution where you were isolated, but rather you were to be engaged in one-on-one relationships and you were to be engaged in something bigger than yourself. And when I forego this, when I go into a season of isolation, or when I don't consult other people, or I don't go to people that I know who love me and that I can trust, or I, or I forego opportunities to be encouraged in gatherings like we're in by the power of the Holy Spirit, a couple things always happen in my life, and maybe they happen to you as well. In fact, there's six things that always happen in my life when I decide to choose isolation over togetherness. First is that my stressors always get bigger than they need to be because there's no one to help me see that they're not that big of a deal. What happens in your mind? In isolation, everything becomes really, really huge, doesn't it? And in togetherness, people are able to kind of help you realize this too will pass. This is not the end of the world. In my isolation, I become the priority, and it's all about me. In my isolation, I tend to complain more. In my isolation, I'm much more critical of others. In my isolation, my mind creates narratives that are often not even true. And in my isolation, I'm much more likely to fall prey to sin. And maybe you can relate to that. In your moments of isolation, in your moments of not being together, you create these narratives in your head that are just simply not true. Or you find yourself being so critical. Or worse than anything, we find ourselves falling prey to sin or those temptations in our life. This is a process that a lot of us virtually move through every time that we step away from togetherness. And what we're instructed to do, these instructions for the church that, again, are so solid and are so core and are so valuable for us, is to not um, move past what it is that the Lord says, I want you to be devoted to. And that's praising Him, but also praising Him with others. See, the model the church is instructed to live by is where we have everything in common, where your excess meets my needs and vice versa, meaning that I'm not just a taker and I'm not just a giver, but I get to be a taker and a giver. (laughs) You're not just a taker and you're not just a giver. You get to be a taker and a giver. You get to be a consumer and you get to be one who, who invests in someone else's life. The church should be the place where you and I are actively looking for the needs of others. And we're allowing ourselves to be able to meet the needs of others. We gather in places all the time. Maybe you go to the country club, or maybe you go to a resort, or maybe you go to a sporting event. And what's different about all of those gatherings, opposed to the one that you're in right now, is that this gathering, the body of believers, what we have in common is that we have been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of the resurrection, everything in our life has changed And we're devoted to a cause that is bigger than ourselves. And we're seeking to create an environment where people who do not have what we have, who do not have the joy that we have if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, where they will be attracted to that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they will meet Jesus and there forever will be changed. It's one of the primary missions of the church. About a month ago, I overheard a conversation um, that I haven't been able to shake and um, it was on the playground, and I had taken my kids to um, the playground, and I was just sitting on a bench, probably staring into space, which is what I tend to do. And uh, these, uh, these two ladies were talking, and um, 
I wasn't eavesdropping, so I need to keep that, I need, I need to preface that, okay? I was not eavesdropping because they were very loud talkers, and you all know these people, I mean, they were talking so loud that had they been in our parking lot, you could have heard them clearly at Dollar General. And so I wasn't eavesdropping, I was just sitting, and they started talking about church, and they don't go to Rolling Hills, and they were talking about the church that they were attending, and one of the ladies particularly said something that kind of stuck out to me, and she was talking about the church and how she liked going there, and she said, but my problem is I never get to sit with anybody that I know, and I was kind of thinking to myself, don't go preach a sermon, you know, just sit and stare into space. They don't need you to walk into their lives right now. And what I was thinking, though, is if I had walked over to deliver a sermon, I would have said, you know, maybe you want to text your friend and see if they can meet you there or walk in together. Or better yet, maybe look to the right or left. Your best friend might be sitting by you right now, and you don't even know him. You know, you might find great community in somebody that's around you right now that you've not even had a chance to interact with. And then I thought, you know, I just whatever, no big deal. And then she proceeded to say, I guess I just need to get there earlier so I don't have to sit with a bunch of random people. And I was kind of like, oh, don't go deliver a sermon, Jason. Just stay. <laughs> stay right here. But in all honesty, I've thought about that comment, and my mind immediately went to criticism. I started criticizing her for saying this. I started criticizing her for that attitude. And since then, I have asked the Lord to forgive me for that attitude because that was not a God-honoring attitude. That was not a God-honoring, glorifying attitude to criticize someone for their perspective and for their comments. And I've thought about these ladies, of which I do not know, and I've thought about what they're missing. And if I had it to do all over, and if I had an opportunity to have a follow-up conversation, uh, I would say something along the lines of, I know what it's like to be in a room with people that seem quote-unquote random. And maybe you're sitting here today, and you're saying, I'm sitting in a room with people that feel somewhat random. But I want you to know that this is the church, the local body of believers at Rolling Hills Community Church. We are connected by Jesus Christ. We are here for one another. We are on a mission together, and we seek to pray together and serve together and to engage with one another and if this has kind of become just a, a, a random assembly of people, my hope and my prayer is that today for you, that would change. That you would say, you know what, this isn't just a group of random people. But this is a group of people that if someone in this room is hurting, even if I don't know them, if someone in this room is hurting, I should be hurting. If there is someone in this room that is celebrating, I should be celebrating. If there's someone in this room that's grieving, I should grieve with them. If there's someone in this room that's filled with joy, I should be filled with joy for them. And if there's someone in this room that's confused, or there's someone in this room that is challenged, or if there's somebody in this room that feels like life is falling apart and just hanging on by a thread, that should motivate me to say, I want to be involved in their lives. I'm not going to make you raise your hands. But I would assume some of you are hurting, some of you are challenged, some of you are joyful, some of you are celebrating, some of you are on highs right now, and some of you are on lows. And what we have together and what we are to be devoted to together is to say, you know what, if you're struggling, I struggle. And if you're filled with joy, I'm filled with joy with you. Because that's what a devoted follower of Jesus Christ does. That's what God set in motion some 2,000 years ago. And it has not stopped 
since then. See, a devoted follower of Jesus, as you see here in your notes, a devoted follower of Jesus doesn't just talk the talk. A devoted follower of Jesus doesn't just talk the talk. And this is easy for me. It's especially easy for me right now because I have a microphone attached to my face. It's easy to stand up here and just talk the talk and to say, you need to do this and I need to do this and we all need to do this. See, but devoted followers of Jesus, we don't just check boxes and we don't just talk the talk. I mean, go back to what it says in verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. What I love about the first century church is they actually gave their money away because they found something better than money. (laughs) They found more joy in giving to others than what they could personally obtain, both in resources but obviously in time because it takes a lot of time to be involved in fellowship and breaking of bread and communion with one another Did you know the average American, and these are stats that I didn't make up, did you know that the average American, we spend $1.26 for every dollar that we actually make? Meaning that the average person does not live on what they actually bring in, but rather continues to dig a hole where it's challenging to have your own needs met. And so when you read a passage of scripture that says, I should care about the needs of other people, and you automatically see the challenge in that, because if we're spending $1.26 for every dollar that we actually make, of course it's going to be hard for us to figure out ways to step into the lives of other people and be generous. Just one of the obstacles that we have to work through. But every day the church was on mission, and they assembled for worship, but they actually lived it out in their homes. They lived it out around tables, and they did so with sincere hearts. Some of us struggle uh, to lean into that. Some of us struggle uh, to, to even use our home as a place where people can come and where they can be ministered to and where they can encounter the love and the joy of Christ. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Jason, I just don't have the nicest house. <laughs> Some of these people around here have really nice houses, and I don't. Or I don't have the nicest appliances. Or you know what? My house doesn't look like a restoration hardware catalog. So I'm not sure that I could use what I have to be a blessing to someone else. My lawn is not perfectly manicured out front like everybody else's. You know what? That's okay. Because most people's lives aren't perfectly manicured. That would have been a chance for you to say amen. Most people's lives are not perfectly manicured. Most people's, thank you, most people's lives are not together all the time. How about instead of allowing those obstacles to stand in the way, we say, you know what, everything that the Lord has blessed me with, I want to use it as a tool for him. And I want to use it as an opportunity for him to be honored and glorified. You've assuredly caught this in the text, but something that has never changed from then to now is the power of that personal relationship and the power of hospitality and that hospitality that you and I show to one another. In fact, hospitality is a huge driver for the gospel mission. Hospitality is a huge driver for the gospel mission. I mean, go back to verse 46. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So see, with gladness and sincerity, they praised God and they enjoyed favor with people. Let's hang out there for a second. Because see, the favor was not necessarily promised that it would be won here in the house of worship. The message was proclaimed. The church was fired up and then they lived it out. And it said the Lord gave them great favor in their homes. 
meaning that the Lord can give you great favor on your Mondays and your Tuesdays when you live it out on the ball fields, when you live it out around the conference room table, when you're at these school events. See, that's where favor can be one with your neighbor in your front yard. Favor can be one on your business trips. Favor can be one. And because of that devotion that the first century church had, what naturally happened? Because of that devotion, what naturally happened? Back to verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This message is surprisingly simple but very complex to live out, isn't it? You and I are called to be devoted. We're called to lean in. We're called to meet needs. We're called to allow others to meet needs in our life. We're called to be generous. We're called to pray. And that recipe honestly has not changed. So what do you and I need to do? Are you willing to take the steps that God may be asking you to take today? Because see, that devotion matters. People's eternities are in the balance. So may you and I find great joy in being the church here in Nolansville, Tennessee today and for the days to come. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.